Well, hello there and welcome to the first ever edition of the Astute Life podcast. I'm really excited to bring you our first edition and an interview with a lady called Jen Tiller, who is known as the Breathing Coach. Now, human life, there are a number of things that we need to do to hang on to it, at the very least. One of them, of course, is drinking water. The second thing is eating food. But we couldn't survive at all unless our bodies were able to take in breath, air and oxygen. Now, this is a much bigger subject and much more important to our health than many of us probably realize. So over the course of the next hour, we're going to take a detailed insight into how you can adjust your breathing and be more considerate about it. And the benefits are that you can deal with certain ailments and live a better quality life. My first question for Gentilla, therefore, was to find out a little bit about her backstory and specifically how she became known. Thanks, David. I really appreciate your your time and and energy and sharing the the message today. Yeah, my background is, it's quite a long one. I'm 57 now, so, you know, there's a lot of years in this. From early childhood, I had life-threatening asthma. I went through, you know, you don't need all the details, but there was a lot of trauma in my childhood. And so I was always looking for healing, ways to feel better. But when I was young, nobody expected me to even survive. I was not expected to survive childhood because the asthma was so bad. And that does leave you pretty vulnerable in your mind and in your body. So it wasn't until I was, let me see, my mid-30s, I was living with this for 30 odd years, that I finally came across a a technique called the Buteyko breathing method. Now, before then, I had experimented with every bit of therapy I could find. Hypnosis, primal scream, believe it or not, um, and massage and so many other wonderful things, which all helped a bit. Don't get me wrong, everything had value. But by the time I reached my 30s, I was just struggling to survive day after day after day. I'd reached the point where my health was so bad, the doctor said, if I could smell something, anything, I was so allergic, they said I should run. And I couldn't run because I had asthma. So, you know, there was, I just basically didn't go outside. I was agoraphobic for physical reasons, which is a bit unusual. But I was also scared of events, people, and of course my own body because it was not known for supporting me very well. I had asthma almost constantly. I was on medication for all of those years. Uh, chronic bronchitis. These days it's called COPD, the condition that I had. Yeah. And I really kept striking out for answers. And eventually my mother actually came across a television program um, where she saw this Russian chap talking about breathing in such a way that it could turn off the asthma symptoms safely. And it was clinically proven. And it took me years to actually find somebody who were trained in that method because I was living in Australia at the time and in a small country town a long way from anywhere. And there wasn't a lot of support. I can yeah. detect, Jan, in your voice, uh, the little twinge of the Australian accent still. It comes and goes. When I talk about Australia, it gets stronger. It's interesting. Um, well, it sounds to me, Jan, like you had, you know, up until your 30s, the most challenging life, you know, with the most debilitating conditions 
possible. And it sounds to me like you're finding breathing techniques to help you through that was literally equivalent to the the night on the white horse your chance of of getting some normality in your life so we're obviously going to go through a bit more of the detail and the questions that we've got coming up about specifically what impact you've had and what impact the breathing's had but please give us as well as that please give us a few examples of some of the work that you've done over the years with clients like yourself struggling with chronic illness Okay, well, while I was ill, by the way, I was a piano teacher, so teaching was what I always did. And I brought that into working with my clients, helping them understand what they needed and how things were real for them, as opposed to just saying, you should do this, okay? And once I'd recovered, and I did, I went from, I think I'm going to die tonight, literally, I was having a massive asthma attack, to off my medication with my doctor's approval in three weeks. Three weeks. Changed my life completely. And it's been 18 years since I've had an asthma attack. That's absolutely, totally, and utterly incredible, isn't it? It is truly amazing. And, you know, there was, there was a patch where it came and went a little bit, but I've been completely free of it for all that time. So I feel really in a powerful place to say to people, this is what you can do because I've lived it. So when I work with clients, uh, an example would be a lady who had, uh, she lived in the Cambridge area and every, uh, what do you call it, rape seeds, canola oil, those fields of yellow flowers, they came out, she'd be in hospital because she was so allergic. Every single year, she was in her 40s by the time I met her. And we worked together for three weeks, like, like I did. We had several sessions in the three weeks. She worked very hard because you have to practice your breathing. It's not something that I can change for you. I can teach you how to do it. And she hasn't been back in hospital since. And that is, you know, you know, well over one and a half decades ago. And that is the most powerful thing. She has been free of medication. I had another lady who was herself a, an NHS staff sister. And she had asthma herself and she had a a daughter with severe learning difficulties and health difficulties and when she first had her baby she could not so much as go upstairs to fetch a nappy for that child during the day her asthma was so severe she couldn't climb stairs she would have to gather up everything take it downstairs and stay there all day and then struggle up at the end of the day that was her whole life and yet she was still you know part-time working as a as a nurse and again I worked with her I taught her how to breathe slowly and calmly to use the right muscles to relax deeply and she could not believe it when she said it's been a week I haven't picked up my spray I haven't needed it and that's just such an exciting thing for me to hear she was free she could work with her baby she could look after herself and in all those years since she continues to be in touch with me. People like to share how well they're doing. And she hasn't needed her medication since either. The internet, um, Jen, is full of countless stories of people that have had severe conditions, particularly what is labelled panic attacks or anxiety. And oh, yes. my own research kind of led me to you through our mutual friend, Elaine Godley. But I'd obviously watched lots of different videos from some of the people oh. on TED Talks and actually practiced some of the techniques that they were suggesting and literally immediately 
felt the positive benefits myself of some of the things that they were endorsing. And one of the things that really resonated with me was one gentleman who was coaching, you know, a very senior CEO of a company who had had a lot of trauma in his life and had had a panic attack. He didn't think it was a panic attack. He thought thought he was having a heart attack. And he was taught these new breathing techniques. And within no time at all, the the issue went away. So let's get more into the detail now of, of breathing. So for the lay person that's listening to us, let's start really basic. What happens when we breathe and how do our bodily organs process the air and the oxygen? Okay, that's, that's actually quite a big question. But the, the basics are when you take a deep breath in, your diaphragm lowers and it creates a, an, ex, an extended vacuum around the lungs, which makes them expand. It just forces the air to draw in. That's how it's supposed to work. And the air comes into the bottom of the lungs where there are air sacs, alveoli they're called, which exchange oxygen and carbon dioxide and all the blood gases that come into that system. They exchange it right near the bottom of the lungs. Then it goes into the bloodstream and the red blood cells carry the oxygen around the body. And we get it into the well wherever we need it the muscles and the the organs and so forth and then the body produces as a natural response and an interchange with the oxygen carbon dioxide now people think carbon dioxide is a bad gas for some reason because we have to get rid of it when there's too much but as in so many things you need a certain amount of it to function at all so carbon dioxide is a good gas to have that your body produces on its own and it creates a more alkaline system. So the oxygen comes in, we use it for so many things. We produce carbon dioxide, which helps us use the oxygen effectively. And then we breathe back out again. And most of us, unless there's something desperately wrong, we actually have enough oxygen to give breath of life to another human being, don't we? If we had to do it, we would do CPR on somebody else and we'd breathe our air back and there's enough oxygen there to save someone else's life. So quite often it's not so much that we don't have enough oxygen coming in, but that our body is not in a state to use it effectively. And that's where the problems start. Some of the very... Yeah, some of the very basics, Jen. I say to people when I talk to them, you know, and I counseled at various different people in different ways, and I talk about stripping life back to the basics. And of course, there are certain things that we literally cannot survive without. We must be able to breathe. We need water, and we and we need food. And so, breathing a lot of the time we do completely subconsciously. We're not conscious of it. And I think that's one of the challenges that I've developed over the years, not to be considerate of my breathing, which brings me on to the the next question, which is what is the difference between good and bad breathing? And for example, what I discovered in my research is something which is being given the label shallow breathing. Now, what is this and how does it contribute towards issues such as anxiety or asthma? Yeah, it's it's a core factor. Um, Ordinary breathing is air in and out, but bad breathing is when you your air is only being brought into the upper part of the lungs. Remember I said the diaphragm needs to drop to really enlarge those lungs to bring the air right in where it's needed. If you're only breathing 
short, sharp and shallow because your muscles are tight around your abdomen and tight at the bottom because you may be anxious or you're in pain. That would trigger anybody to breathe that way. Then the air just doesn't transfer as well. You can have lots of air coming in, but it doesn't get used. And that's partly because you're in fight or flight mode. We've all heard about a panic attack is about being in fight or flight, whether or not there's a real reason for it. If I was being chased by a lion, it's totally appropriate. But most of us go through life without ever experiencing that. And yet we still experience stress and anxiety just on day to day stuff. You know, we have a row with somebody or we're late for something. We have a, a money problem and our anxiety builds up. We start to breathe quicker, shallower often through the mouth, that's another real clear indicator. People, if you watch somebody else who's anxious, you'll see their shoulders come up and you'll hear their breathing, they'll go, <gasps> and they won't even know they're doing it. Yeah. So poor, poor breathing uh, means that you lose carbon dioxide too early in the breathing cycle and that means you can't use the oxygen you do get because you need both. It's a very important factor. Some people... Ideally, you would breathe, the good breathing would be low using your abdominal muscles, slow, maybe eight to 10 breaths per minute at rest. Mm -hmm. Somebody who's in an anxiety state or having an asthma attack could be breathing 20, 30 or more times a minute. So they are just in such a state of exhaustion by the, by the time they've done it, their bodies are reacting, their immune system is going, their brain cells are firing off and Panic is a hideous experience. You know, your pulse races, your blood flow changes, you can get tingling sensations, you think you're going to faint. Some people do. And yet all that needs to change to at least bring that down to a safe level is to slow the breathing down. It makes all the difference in the world. I mean, you're completely right, Jen. There is no worse feeling than being in that sort of fight or flight mode when you actually have no cause to be. As you said, if you're being chased by a wild animal or you've fallen and, and your body needs to quickly react, then, you know, fight or flight mode is absolutely appropriate. But when you're sat in an armchair, let's say, for example, and you've got that feeling of, of tension and, you know, the lightheadedness kicks in. And as you say, you know, some people almost well some people do pass out from anxiety they literally in the severest form pass out mm. and, and what you're saying is that by learning how to breathe you can make sure that doesn't happen it's even more if you're asthmatic for example asthma oddly enough is a protective mechanism the airways close down when your carbon dioxide level drops because you've been breathing so fast and it the airways close down to prevent you losing CO2. So what can be you know, a life-threatening condition as I've lived is actually a desperate attempt to stop you over-breathing. And if you stop over-breathing, the airways open by themselves. That is the fascinating thing, and it's rapid. I have people who halve their breathing their medication for asthma symptoms in the first week. It's, it's really, really fast. And one of, those, one of those aspects of um, anxiety is that you can't think while you're doing it. The brain just seems to seize up and, and not be very sensible. And so 
it's not really about just dealing with it when you have symptoms. Really important thing is to get the body to automatically breathe appropriately because we have a system obviously as you said breathing is unconscious 99.9% of the time it has to be mm. we breathe when we're asleep we breathe when we're busy doing things we yeah. need to just let it get on with it yeah. but if you've developed a habit for any reason whether it's pain or stress in your life or trauma it happens then your body starts to think that the faster shallower breathing is normal and it will remain at that level until you change what is normal. So you have to practice a different way of breathing to shift the body's homeostatic system. That's the technical name. To make sure that you automatically breathe well all the time so that if you start to breathe a bit heavier, you've got a bit of a buffer zone. You've got time to sort it out before it causes a problem. Indeed, I'm sure we could. I'm sure we could share loads of examples. I'm just going to interject with a, a friend who will remain nameless for obvious reasons. A friend of mine who had a terrible trauma last year, had a knee operation, and uh, unexpectedly had a heart attack on on the operating table. And he's now recovered in the sense that he's, um, you know, he's able to function. But it's oh. had a fairly severe effect. You know, part of his heart doesn't work correctly. He's on medication, and he was saying to me only two weeks ago that he felt he was having another heart attack and so they called for the ambulance the ambulance when they got there quickly realized that he was having a severe anxiety attack and they literally just got him breathing in deeply through his nose in a rhythmic way and he literally said david he said it was incredible within two minutes i was feeling normal again absolutely and and that is the simplest gift you can give yourself the breath of life is literally just slow even breathing it is a beautiful thing. But the idea is to prevent it ever going into that place where that, that gentleman is experiencing. So right. back, back to, you know, solutions, I guess now, Jen. So can you help our listeners check in with their own breathing and take us through some simple exercises to help everyone relax? Now, I know this is challenging because this is audio and you probably like to do some sort of visual aspects, which we can probably do in the future. So you'll probably have to be over descriptive in, in, in how you explain this. But Right. Thank you for that. And, and do... If, if I'm not making it clear to you this way, please ask questions. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Uh, okay, one of the simplest things that you can do is to put a hand on your lower belly, a hand on your upper chest, and just once, just once, take one big breath in and out. Um, and notice what happens, which hand is moving. And then go back to normal breathing, please. So one big breath in and out. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Okay. So just noticing whether it was your upper hand that lifted up yeah. or it was your tummy hand that moved. Which, so which did you what you're saying so in my case then I guess because I've been practicing Jen, it was yes. my my bottom hand, my tummy which was lifting. But previously, yeah. before I learned these techniques, it, it would have been my upper hand. In yeah. other words, I was breathing in through the top of my chest. Absolutely. And for a lot of people that's going to be the case you might not do this all the time but one one big breath you get a fright if anybody gets a fright they go oh, they grab their air the shoulders come up and that's what you will feel so just even being aware that if you ever feel that it's a, an indication that you could just drop your shoulders and relax 
wiggle, wiggle your tummy muscles is quite nice. Just wiggle them around, loosen them off. Mm. And that will help to bring you back into awareness of, I don't need to use my shoulders. In fact, there are no lungs in your shoulders, so it's not a great place to breathe into. Um, another, the, just a simple awareness. And if people are mouth breathing, to softly close the mouth and do their best to breathe through their nose as much as they can. There, there are practical skills to enhance that if you really are a constant mouth breather, but just close your mouth a bit. Even that will reduce the amount of rapid breathing. You, you won't breathe as many litres per minute that way, and that's a big, big factor. Um, now, one of the things I love to do, if people are nose breathing, to put the finger across the top lip, so say your, your index finger just rested across your top lip underneath the nose so there's you know half an inch three quarters of an inch between that and your nostrils and what a beautiful exercise is and this, we could, if we can allow a minute or so for this to happen mm. to simply feel the way the air is flowing over your finger just notice it no judgment just notice it take a moment to breathe a few times and Feel the airflow. Now, some people will feel a gust of breeze with each breath. Others will feel the warmth. Some will feel just a light sensation. Whatever it is, give your body permission. You don't try this. You just give it permission to feel a more gentle sensation on the finger. And the body is brilliant. It will work out how to do this. You just pay attention to the finger and intend it to have a more gentle sensation with each out-breath. Mm. Slowly, it will just happen naturally. The body will automatically breathe a little bit more slowly, a little bit more gently, but your focus is just on the finger. And as you do that, the mind calms down, fight or flight begins to slow, and even turn off, you get more oxygen, and yet you're breathing what almost feels like you're breathing less, but you're breathing better. You can actually feel it when you actually do what you're describing. Yeah. And you, you become conscious of actually what you're doing as opposed to being unconscious of, you know, the, the automatic way that we breathe. You can actually feel yourself yeah. calming down, can't you? Jen, may, may I ask you what's happening to me then? When I one of the, one of the things that appears to be working for me, and I don't necessarily understand the the, the detail behind why this is, but uh -huh. I try when I'm, I'm I'm a very busy man, and sometimes I'm traveling a lot. I'm on trains, planes, and in automobiles, and obviously, you know, I can do my my breathing, you know, then. But one of the things that seems to work best for me is on my morning walk. I try to do that in nature, so walking through the woods and the countryside. Yeah. And what, I, what I'm conscious of, and it's usually an hour that I do it for, I try to get my four miles in. Um, I, I breathe in as deeply as I can through my nose, uh, which for me is about five seconds, five, six seconds. And yeah. then I'll hold that for three or four seconds. Then I breathe out through pursed lips for up to eight to 10 seconds. And, that, you know, and I'll do that intermittently throughout my one hour walk. I particularly enjoy doing it when I'm in, in amongst the trees and you get all the different smells. What's, oh, what's actually happening? You know, why is that helping me, you know, stay calm and, 
and and not have you know the feeling of a fight or flight that I was getting before. Okay, well, there are two things I'd like to address there. Yeah. One is very simply that you're slowing your entire breathing cycle down. Instead of breathing maybe 15 or 20 times a minute, you've dropped it to half a dozen. Yeah. And that alone turns off fight or flight. Slow breathing, your brain recognizes slow breathing as you must be safe. If you breathe quickly, the body, the brain looks for reasons that you're breathing like that and assumes there's a problem. So you actually, you know, you're turning off the basic fight or flight mechanism by slowing the breathing down so much. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I'd really like to, to suggest that you, you turn around a little bit. The in-breath through the nose is great. The out-breath through the mouth can be good as long as it's very, very slow. But in fact, your nose is designed to be the breathing organ. Mm. Right. Um, of course, the in-breath, the reason the in-breath is so important through the nose is that it filters the air, can reduce pollution coming in, it can reduce even pollens coming in, and your air gets moistened as it goes through the airways. So you don't have get a dry mouth, you don't get the dry back of the throat, you don't get the cough yeah. that a lot of people do when they're breathing badly and they don't know why they think they've got an illness, but in fact, it's just the way the air is coming into their bodies. Um, but one of the other things that you can consider is that the in-breath is part of the sympathetic nervous system, the fight-or-flight system. And the out-breath is the parasympathetic or relaxation system. We need both of them in balance to function, right? It's not that the fight-or-flight is always bad. It's just you don't want it to go to scare level, right? You don't want it to go into red alert. But when you breathe in slowly, which is great, and then you hold the breath in, you're actually holding it in the fight or flight, in the sympathetic nervous system, which is actually a tensing thing. Mm. So turn it around. Breathe in through the nose. Breathe out very slowly. I would say through the nose, but out, out through the mouth very gently would be okay. Mm. But then rest the breath after you've breathed out rather than holding it when you breathe in have a little go at it now folks and whatever you're doing right now if you're listening to this breathe out slowly through your nose when you're ready and just rest the breath for a moment and breathe in again and notice what happens in the pause after the out breath this is one of the most powerful tools that i teach my clients and you can take this to a long way when you have support to do this. Don't try it on your own. You know, don't exaggerate it. But breathing out, rest the breath. And in that rested breath, there is quiet in the mind. And it's natural, it's automatic. You don't have to try, it's just there. Between every breath, there is peace waiting for you. And that you can do every breath if you want to. And after a little while, it becomes your natural way of being. You breathe out, you rest the breath, there's stillness, and then you move on. It's the wonderful gift. How do you feel as you do that, David? Absolutely. It's very calm, as you say, in, in that moment where you just pause, yeah. you, there's a feel, there is a feeling of calm. Yeah. And this is all, Jen, I suggest to people, it's all about 
kind of breaking old habits, isn't it? And becoming more conscious of your breathing. Um, one of the things that I do, which helps me, and it, it probably drives the people who are in my presence bonkers, but um, and, I'm, and I'm sure this is me trying to break the habit, but my phone, I set alarms on my phone every hour. So every, every hour an alarm goes off on my phone, just a vibrating alarm. And I look at it and it, it'll say breathe. Yes. <laughs> it's yes. just a reminder for me. And obviously this is not through the night. This is kind of through the day. Yeah. But it just reminds me wherever, wherever I am, you know, because I may have got completely preoccupied in a meeting with someone and where my mind's at full tilt and, I'm, you know, I'm concentrating on the discussion, not on my breathing. And slowly but surely the pattern of having that alarm done is 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 causing me to actually, I actually often turn off the alarm before it goes off now because I've thought about it. I'm so I've become more conscious of my breathing. Do you think that's a good, a good tactic to adopt? I really love that consciousness, conscious awareness. Well, it's mindfulness. It's a beautiful thing to be doing as part of your daily life. And with, with your breathing, it's because we have to breathe anyway, we're going to be doing it anyway. It's not like we have to think about what we eat, but we may not be eating at the time. We're always going to be breathing. That's a very sensible tool for, that anyone can use. And yes, I agree, a, a gentle alarm or even playing something nice music or something if you're mm. in a private environment. Um, you certainly don't want an alarm type alarm because that's the last thing you need. Um, it was one of the things that I, I to come back to is that you were talking about creating a new habit by being more conscious of it. When you uh, are turning off the fight or flight, when you're doing that pause after the outbreath, it is actually resetting your neurology, your biochemistry, teaching the body that that slow, calm breathing is available. And after a little while, you'll find yourself doing it without thinking at all. And it's a very, very powerful tool because you, you want to change the habit so that whether you're asleep or awake, whatever you're doing, your body is automatically resetting the right amount of carbon dioxide and oxygen as your baseline. One of the things we've not touched on, Jen, and we'll not go into too much detail because this probably gets quite scientific and, and chemical, oh, but yeah. obviously when we're, when we're in fight or flight mode, and yeah. we, we, the best way to get someone to identify with this is to say to them, when something happens that's pretty shocking, one can feel the instant need to go to the toilet. That's how powerful flight, fight or flight can be. I mean, literally, it can you can go from, you know, feeling normal, you get a piece of news, it puts you into fight or flight mode, and you instantly want to go to the toilet. So, what chemicals yeah. are actually being produced by our body naturally when we are in fight or flight mode? Well, that's basically adrenaline and cortisol. Yeah, um, yeah. I think most people are familiar with those. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's not that complicated. We we know that you know an adrenaline surge happens. I don't forget adrenaline is useful if you're doing something very exciting in a positive way. It, it, that has merit there as well. It's just when there's too much and your body, your body is in demand mode. It needs every option it's got. But if you've had a shock, shock will stop us in our tracks. We'll shake. The blood will drain from our face. We feel faint. We need to go to the loo because our body is got an overload of that and we haven't got something we can do with it it's a fascinating subject jenna and you know we'll obviously carry on with the questions but i'm already at the point where i'm thinking that some of the people listening to this would probably benefit from you know attending one of your workshops which we'll talk about you know right at the end but how can we've covered some fairly detailed stuff already but how can 
practicing a tailored program of quality breathing help to reverse chronic ailments such as asthma and anxiety? Well, it's very much about getting the body to automatically maintain a healthy rate of breathing so that you don't ever have to think about it again. I don't do breathing exercises these days. I don't need to. My body has got the hang of it. And so if you get somebody to breathe the way they should, it, it can take a few weeks to really change because, you know, imagine if, if you... If you're a bit of a couch potato and I said tomorrow morning, get up and go and run a marathon, your body would complain. It would not have the ability to do that. But if you do it gradually over a period of time, most people could do that. You know, well, at least they could run the 5K. You know, they could do that. Um, so the idea is to have small sessions where you have feedback from somebody who knows what's going on, make small changes. You go away and practice them. You come back again and your body gradually sets into a healthy state of calm, relaxation, slow breathing, or much more oxygen uptake with much less effort, and you turn off that fight or flight default. So that instead of little things stressing you, it takes something that's genuinely important to have that effect on you. And your whole body, the immune system calms down, you trigger less, like allergies become less. Um, I've had people who've had terrible cat allergies and within a few sessions, they can tolerate their friend's cats. It's, you know, it's a small thing, but it can make a real difference in your daily social life. Totally, particularly if that friend's someone that's dear to you and they've got a cat and, or they acquire a cat and that suddenly yeah. spoils the, the way the relationship feels because the person's feeling like they've got an issue when they're around that cat. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, sometimes it's the benefits of that. So you improve the immune system, you calm the mind, you have more energy because you're not wasting energy on being tense and breathing incorrectly and using because you use the wrong muscles. It's exhausting to the body. When you breathe from the abdominal muscles, it's relaxing in itself. It's a calming, soothing, gentle thing. And one of the beautiful benefits of abdominal breathing is that you give your abdomen a massage with every single breath you take. So you get better blood flow, you get better throughput of your digestion. I'm not going to go into details there, but you know what I mean. And uh, you get um, lymphatic drainage improved. I was going to say, yeah, because the, 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 the body's lymph system doesn't have a pump. The pump is the breathing that we do, isn't it? It's, it's our breathing that pushes our lymph fluids around our body. Precisely. And if you don't use the right muscles, it's going to struggle every single, with every breath, it's going to struggle. So if you want to take a massive pressure off your body and your mind, then slow, healthy breathing, learning to do that gently and having it tailored to where you're at, because everybody's different. And learning to do this so that I also teach people how to breathe when they're exercising, when they're, whether they're just walking, whether they're getting out of the a chair or oh, here's something we could do right now if we've still got another minute or two is how do you get out of a chair when, how do you breathe when you get out of a chair most people if they're struggling a little bit will be pushing down with their arms breathing in heavily through their mouth and they'll be tense as they get up or they could even be in pain if somebody has arthritis they can be in severe pain when they get out of a chair but if we turn that around and do what we did earlier and use the pause after the out-breath when we're relaxed, 
You're still strong, but you're not tense. You can turn that around. So if anybody wants to have a go at this, it's breathe out before you stand up and stand up in the pause after the output. So it's breathe out, stand up, breathe in. And that is something that can, for many people, immediately reduce pain levels by 50 or even 100%. I did this in a workshop a couple of weeks ago and several of the people in the room had uh, chronic knee problems and um, arthritis and somebody else had back problems. And when they stood up, they were in absolute shock and delight because it hadn't hurt them when they stood up. And another, a colleague of mine, he had, um, was it appendix removal and it was infected and he had an open wound for three weeks. He used that technique to stand up every time and he didn't have pain. When he didn't use it, he couldn't move at all. So it's that powerful. So breathe out, rest the breath, move. Fascinating, Jen. And I know some people listening to this, a percentage of people will be listening with skepticism because it does seem hard to comprehend that something so simple as breathing can have such profound positive effects. And I understand people who are skeptical because that's my nature. I, I look for the evidence. I, in fact, in, in my marketing work, I'll say to people that evidence creates belief and belief creates action. So, you know, the customer you're targeting needs to believe and you need to provide evidence that helps them believe before they'll take the action that you want them to take. So with that in mind, what scientific evidence, such as clinical trials, for example, is mm -hmm. there out there to support the effectiveness and the remedy that optimal breathing can provide? Very good question, and I completely agree with that. You know, I'm, I'm a skeptic myself, and um, you try things when you're desperate, but you shouldn't do it only because you're desperate. You should be because you have a real sense that it'll work. Now, the the basic um, program that I learned all those years ago was the Buteyko breathing method, which is a Russian technique um, developed by a professor, and they've had over a million people go through their clinics in Russia. But a lot of people think. Uh, that's exaggeration, that's somebody else's stuff. But in the UK, now let's see, so several years ago now, we had a two-year clinical trial at Glasgow University, and it was a big trial. We we're talking 600 people involved in that trial. Mm. Uh, it was primarily for asthma and people with high blood pressure because it does also, in relaxing you, it reduces your blood pressure. But if you've got low blood pressure, it doesn't reduce it further, by the way. And they had... They, you know, as they break it up into people who don't get any help at all, they're just, mm. the, the, you know, in a placebo group. And then they, yeah. the people who had the full Buteyko method had a 96% reduction in asthma medication that lasted for the whole two years. Incredible. 96%. And that is the, the results you get in any cl clinical trials. We've had lots of smaller ones, you know, 30 people and, and so on. Lots of those all over the world. But that's, I think, the biggest um, English-speaking trial we've had, 96%. And they got that result within the first few weeks and it held for the whole two years. Now, I have actually taught NHS staff. They've actually asked me to teach at a, a hospital, to teach physio and... Um, asthma nurse and 
you know, so it's, it is becoming much more mainstream. It's just that the NHS doesn't have a lot of time to teach it because it does take time, tailored process, individual work. You can do workshops and they can be very powerful, but if you want, you know, to, to do it, it's, it's a long-term process if you can only go once a week or once a month to, to get help. Hmm. So the NHS would like to use it more, but it's not necessarily going to happen because you know what budgets are like with the NHS. Indeed. The but, clinical, but yeah. yeah, the clinical trial to which you refer, Jen, the Glasgow one, is, is that documentation for that available easy to find online? So if anybody thinks, yeah. Yeah, you know, based on my evidence creates belief, belief creates action, some people will just naturally think, okay, um, Jen clearly knows what she's talking about, and but I want to read that evidence myself. It's just human nature, isn't it? So it's easy to find, yeah. is it? Yeah. There's there's plenty of evidence for it. There's there's a lot of different clinical trials, you know. But but look for Glasgow in in the title should show something up fairly easily. Um, and there are other trials for other conditions as well. Um, but the the one that it's mostly known for is that. And by the way, when they did that trial, they also did a quality of life, a major one which included psychological um, evidence, and it was run by doctors, so it was a proper questionnaire. And people had a 100% improvement in quality of life, at least, Indeed. by doing the process. And that, that in itself, if you, if you don't have to be ill to want to feel better. And I, I do often work with athletes because they just want to have more energy. They want to have uh, more stamina. They want more reco quicker recovery rates. Indeed, uh, absolutely. And, you know, we've focused a lot today, this morning, on people who are having symptoms and conditions. And interestingly, I was listening to Deepak Chopper this morning, and he was referring to a type of breathing, and forgive me, the name escapes me, but it's something that athletes, marathon runners use and um, while they're running. And he was saying that in many instances, they would test the heart rate of the person before mm -hmm. the marathon, and then literally at the end of the marathon, within minutes, and their heart rate will be back to normal because of this method of breathing and Absolutely. so yeah yeah yeah, yeah and I, I i teach people to do that for everything but you know i even teach yoga teachers and even they improve their breathing and they're usually pretty good so it it's down to something that we have to do anyway and it's all very well saying well why should good breathing help well it's how does bad breathing make us come away from health that's more of an issue so you just all we're doing is returning you to good breathing that's it and it just takes practice and awareness and some simple exercises to bring you back to health and good breathing, even if, like me, you really didn't have it before. Yeah, the I was going to say, yeah there's, two, that, you know? yeah, there's two mindsets. And there's people who want to, who are proactive, and so they mm. want to take preventative measures. And there's people that are reactive. They only... They live a life, they don't think about anything they're doing, what they're eating, how they're exercising, how sedentary their life is, and then all of a sudden they have an issue and uh -huh. they go they go to the doctors um, to try and find a remedy for that issue as opposed to the other approach, which is to actually live a proactive life. So to embrace techniques like the one we're talking about this morning, which is intelligent, considered breathing, to benefit them even if they're not having symptoms. Yes, there is, there is no downside to good breathing. They're just... It's a natural thing that engages the entire system in well-being and you'll live longer, you'll live better, you'll live happier and you won't have to go down the, well, I'll go to the doctor when I need it and need it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's not necessary. You know, I'm, 
the, the medical profession is absolutely wonderful for certain things, but managing one's own life is our responsibility and learning about it is something that is available. There's, you know, there's a lot of information out there. A lot of it's free. And I do do a free consultation with everybody that, that comes to me to make sure that it's the right thing for them and that I can genuinely help. And they learn a lot in the process. You know, so that's, that's a handy thing. But there are, you know, I'm not the only place to get this information. Yeah. But I'm probably unique in the connection because in addition to the Buteyko breathing, I am an NLP trainer, hypnotherapist, a Reiki master teacher, a stress management consultant, and a whole bunch of other things. And those things actually work nicely together, don't they? When you know, obviously, I know you as the breathing coach, but uh, the yeah. fact that you've got knowledge about sort of complementary therapies is is valuable. One more question, Jen, before we share with people how they can contact you and find out more about your services. Mm. You started by explaining your own symptoms and and how debilitating a life that you had because of your asthma. So there are going to be people listening to this and you've really caught their attention now and they've had an issue for years and years and years. Yeah. How quickly can the approach that, that we've talked about or some of the techniques that we've talked about help people that have literally had decades worth of issues? I have people who walk in wheezing and walk out not wheezing. And they have to, to maintain it, they have to practice, but it can genuinely be that fast. Hmm. It is... To, to maintain it so it's a healthy, consistent, habitual thing probably takes a couple of months, but the actual benefits kick in, you know, the first week. People, for, for example, if they have asthma, it might be halving their medication. They're um, obviously not their preventative. You must go to a doctor for that. But the stuff they're in charge of, they can halve their medication and genuinely not have symptoms. People who are anxious will discover that they can deal with all sorts of challenges in their life with less effort. They'll realise they've gotten through a day when they would have in the past been stressed by colleagues or a work challenge or kids, whatever it might be. And they go, I got to the end of the day and you know what? I'm okay. It can be very quick, but it takes practice. It takes awareness, but it's so worth it. It's just life changing. So, <laughs> so the short, so the short <laughs> answer, Jen, is that in many instances, people can feel an almost immediate measurable impact, but there is a requirement for discipline and practicing this over the medium to long term to sustain those benefits. That's really what you're saying, isn't it? Well, it's a medium term practice. The long term is it's a habit. Once you've got that, unless something particularly triggers it, which you can, you then have the skills for life, of course, you could come back to and just do a short bout of a bit of practice. But once you've got the hang of it and your body has maintained it for a, for a while, you know, a few months, you don't have to do anything because your body's got the hang of it. It is now your new normal is healthy breathing. And that is what, that's the, the joy of it. It becomes your new way of being. Well, Jen, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you as our first guest on our first Astute Life podcast. So there are going to be many more Astute Life podcasts in the months and years ahead. And we couldn't have wished for a more knowledgeable person to speak to on our first one. I want to end by giving you the opportunity to share with our listeners how they can actually make contact with you. So if they've had their curiosity provoked by what you've said and they want to sort of work with you, that might be just a one-to-one -one consultation or perhaps find out any about any workshops that you run where people can go along together. So tell people how they can find you and contact you and the type of services that you offer. Thank you for the opportunity, David. And 
thank you for the honour of being the, the first of your podcast um, experts. Um, the website, which admittedly needs a bit of an update, but the core information is all there. It's www.gentiller.com. That's J-E-N-T-I-L-L-E-R. Gentiller.com. If you're on Facebook, look for The Breathing Coach and you'll find me there. Um, and if anybody wants to just give me a call, my number is 01462 624 160. That's an English number, of course, so it's a plus four four if you're coming from elsewhere. Um, is, is that enough information? Uh, yes, any, anyone that's listening to that and is, doesn't have a pen to hand, because we know a lot of people listen when they're in the car, on a train, on an airplane, or out walking. The However you found yourself listening to this podcast, go back to the link and you'll find all the details that Jen's just given, the website address, the Facebook address, and very kindly her telephone number. Uh, in that link so you can contact Jen direct and uh, it only remains for me to again say thank you to you Jen for for such an insightful first podcast for a student life you're very welcome Uh, and as I said free free consultation is available to anybody who gets in touch and and we can share more information then Um, whether they want a workshop or want to work one-to-one with me and I do work via a video call if that's useful well, one of the things I'd definitely like to do with you in the future, Jen, as part of probably a retreat where we're covering four or five different um, therapies and benefits is to have you along for us to have a, a very detailed session and some practice on breathing. So once again, thank you for your time today. And I'm sure that we'll be speaking to you again in the not too distant future. Thank you, David. Well, that was the incredibly knowledgeable Jen Tiller, better known as the breathing coach and she already gave you some of her contact details which you'll find wherever you're listening to this podcast we'll have put those contact details but a quick reminder the website is gentiller.com forward slash buteyko which is spelled b-u-t-e-y-k-o or you can go on facebook and search for facebook.com breathing coach and you'll find jen as i mentioned wherever you found this podcast the contact details for you to speak to jen directly and take up The offer of that free consultation will be there. I hope you've enjoyed this first Astute Life podcast. If you have enjoyed it, why not share it with four or five friends? I think this particular episode, because it's riddled with such benefits for people through intelligent breathing, is definitely worth sharing. And if you really loved it, why not give us a positive review on iTunes? We would really be grateful for that. Listen out for next week's podcast from Astute Life. And thank you in the meantime for taking time to listen to us. Enjoy the rest of the week.